Today in the presence of the Lord is uh, want to begin to share with you uh, a message on today. It may take me three or four or ten weeks to uh, share it all, unless y'all want to stay for a while today. I'll take that as make it ten weeks. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 14 and following. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 14. Hey, I don't think I told you tonight we're having family fun night. And uh, we're going to be having some volleyball and some uh, food. And so if you bring some finger food or whatever and uh, share, and we're going to have a good time at 6 o'clock on tonight. And then we'll have some volleyball following that. Okay? All right. 1 Kings 18, verse 14. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here, so that he'll kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And so Obadiah went and met Ahab and told Ahab, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your fathers have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baals. And now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher, uh, who ate at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all of the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Sometimes your silence tells everything. Verse 22, and then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on wood and put a, no fire under it. And I will prepare an other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And now Elijah said to the prophet Baal, choose one of the for your bull for yourself and prepare it first uh, for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And so they took the bull, which was given them, and prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning till evening, saying, O Baal, hear us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And then uh, they leaped about the altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, 
or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday had passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning on the subject that is what the altar is for. That is what the altar is for. <clears throat> Ahab, the king of Israel, met Elijah with these words, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Trouble means to stir up. It means to disturb, to agitate. It also means to affect, afflict pain or discomfort, to cause mental anguish or distress. This shows how far the children of Israel had fallen from the presence of God. This, uh, this king who was supposed to lift the standard and was leading Israel had now left the relationship that he once had with God. He is so backslidden that the very presence of Elijah and his commitment and his consecration to the Lord and his love disturbed, it agitated, it caused Ahab such a distress that he called Elijah the troubler of Israel. <clears throat> you might as well understand today that when you get serious about serving God, whenever you make a real commitment and consecrate yourself and determine that you're going to live a holy and accept a separated life before the Lord, you are going to be viewed as a troubler. Why? Because most people are satisfied living around the altar. They are satisfied with religion. They are satisfied looking the part and sounding the part but when you have chose to surrender your complete self to the Lord and give yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and not live around the altar but on the altar and become a living sacrifice unto the Lord, you are going to be known as a disturber. You're going to be known as an agitator. You're going to be known as one that causes people to be uncomfortable. That's the reason why when you show up at family reunions, they go somewhere else. That's the reason why that whenever just your presence in the room causes people to get agitated, to get disturbed, because it isn't that you're all of that, it's just that that is in you causes them to understand and know where they should be. Amen. Romans 12 and 1 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Elijah called the nation of Israel back to the altar. He said, everybody come in here. Elijah is not known through his scriptures as a great preacher. He is not known throughout the Bible uh, to be known as someone who was articulate, that he was powerful in his preaching. The Bible shines a spotlight on Elijah, and when we see him on the ground, he is, has his knees up and his head is between his knees, and he is in a birthing position, and he is in the place of prayer. It suggests to us that Elijah's power didn't come from his preaching, but it came through his praying. And he shows us that the, what the altar looks like. He shows us what the altar can do. He has a relationship with God that causes a nation to be shifted in a moment. You see, the great need of our, in our hour today is for men and women who will rebuild the altar of our life. When I'm talking about an altar, I'm not talking about a piece of wood. I'm not talking about a piece of furniture. I'm not talking about these steps that serve as an altar. Because you see, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big it is. It don't matter if it's 24 foot long or 2 foot long. It doesn't matter about its size. It doesn't matter what it is made out of. It is, it is just a, a something that is intended for a purpose and for a reason. But it also has the altar is something that is within your heart. Because you see, this altar here today, it can't save anybody. It can't heal anybody. It cannot deliver anyone. It cannot pick anyone up that is fallen. It cannot carry you uh, when you are weak it, you, and you cannot walk. It cannot restore a shipwrecked marriage. It cannot break the strongholds of drug addiction off of people's life. It's just a piece of furniture. It is separated for a sacred purpose, but still it has no power within it no altar the altar that we are looking at today is the altar where that we come to God with a humble heart surrendered to God consecrated to God faithful and obedient to God I'm talking about an altar today that speaks of a light that is laid down that is a sacrifice unto the Lord totally and completely to his lordship and his will. Where there is no altar, the scripture uses this word that says they faltered. Falter. That word falter there means to move hesitantly as if about to give way. It, it means be unsure or weak. It means to walk unsteadily. It means to stumble, to lose faith, to abandon the cause. And the scriptures uses this term to, to speak of Israel concerning their prayer life. This is the message of today. This is the message of the hour. The church is faltering because we have removed ourselves from the altar. Jeremiah 2 and 13 said, My people have committed two evils, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewn themselves out cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. 
What good is it to have a new house? What good is it to have a new car, a great retirement, money in five different accounts in different banks if your soul is cold before God? The greatest need of this hour is not physical, it's not prosperity, but it is soul prosperity. Mark 8 and 36 said, For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? I believe God wants us to prosper. I believe that he wants us to financially prosper. He said to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers and so he desires for us to prosper spiritually and if we prosper spiritually then our soul will prosper and then he said he will add all of these other things to us it's not bad to have a new car i believe that everything that is good in the world the best ought to belong to the children of god it ought to be a witness of the goodness of God in our life. But I also understand that none of those things of value. All of those things are temporal. But if you don't have something of value in your heart and in your soul, then you're really not prosperous at all. But the determining factor is, is your soul prospering? <laughs> Psalms 106 and verse 14, it said, but the lust exceedingly they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert and he gave them their request but it sent leanness into their soul the Bible says the children of Israel lusted exceedingly in the wilderness tempted in the middle of the desert and asked God and God gave them their request but they, got, they, lost, they had leanness of their soul. Leanness means to be thin, to be emaciated, to be weak, to be sickly. That means that they were physically and naturally satisfied, fat and happy, but their souls were starving to death. This is what's happening in the modern, modern American church. We've got all of the fluff, we've got all the fancy, we've got all the nice, but the soul is starving, it is perishing. We're getting fatter and fatter and the more we feel, we are filled with the natural, the carnal, the physical things, but our soul, our spiritual man, if it's not dead, it's nearing death. Many of our churches today don't even have any altar calls anymore. They're afraid of offending someone. Well, I'm going to help you out today. If you go to church and you don't get offended, you don't have much of a preacher. Because the gospel is offensive. You hear me? The gospel is offensive. You can never even come to Jesus until you get offended. 
Because it's your soul, man, that's going to be offended by the gospel. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions were born into Adam and have that carnal nature. And that's the reason why he said we had to have a renewing of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so it is in that moment that we have a conflict of our soul. When our mind, our will, and our emotions get offended by the gospel, that we understand that we are not to live by ourselves. We cannot live on our own. If it had not been for his goodness and his mercy through his blood redeeming us, we would all be sinners and bound for a devil's hell. But thank God for his goodness. Thank God that he convicted us. Thank God he offended us and let us know we could not do it without him. Amen. A lot of folks say, well, that's offensive. We don't want to offend anybody. Uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm uh, really not. I'm not worried about it. I hope you get offended every once in a while. Not because of me. I can say some stupid things sometimes and I go home and I say, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way. But I'm talking about the gospel. The gospel will offend you. Amen. And so... That's the reason why I give altar invitations. I believe that, that if we're going to preach, then if you don't have enough to say to encourage somebody or give opportunity for someone, then not even say anything at all. It was in October 8th, 1871, D.L. Moody preached to the largest crowd he had ever preached to in the city of Chicago. That night he took his text and preached the message, what shall I do with Jesus? And at the end of that service, instead of giving an altar invitation and for response, he did something he never done before. And he said, I want you to take this message home. Think on it this week. And he said, come back next Sunday and we're going to go to Calvary and decide what you're going to do with Jesus. It was that night that Chicago turned into a blaze and burnt down. And D.L. Moody was tormented in his soul to his death, saying, I will never make that mistake again to give people a message and never give them opportunity to respond to that message and it tormented him because he did not know how many people may have died in that fire that was at that meeting that night that could have responded, but he never gave them the opportunity. That's the reason we give an altar invitation every Sunday. It's because we're never promised a tomorrow. We're never promised that it's more than just a scare tactic. It's reality. None of us have a promise of tomorrow, but today is the day of salvation. Amen. Again, I know that the altar is just a piece of furniture. It's just a place. But that place is where we meet God. The altar is a meeting place of God. It is where you climb up the Mount Moriah. And you give your Isaac unto God. It's the place of sacrifice. It's the place where you die. The death to yourself. Not that you live, but Christ lives in you. It is the place where you wrestle with God for the change of your life. 
It is the place where that Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the supplanter, and, and the, the, the one that usurps, he is the one who dies. And now Israel is born in you. It is the place of exchange. It is a place where the sinners find a savior. It's where the broken find a healer. It is where the bound find deliverer. It's where the burden finds relief. It is where the prisoner finds pardon. It is a place where weary find the rest. It is where the saints will always find power. Why is there such a low state of a spiritual power in the church today? It's because the church has forsaken the altar. The altar is not somewhere you come to as a last resort. The altar is a place where you ought to live. And the altar in America has been barren for many years. And as a result, we have a powerless church. It's not just for the sinner to find a savior. It is for the saint to find power. It is where that we exchange our sorrow for joy, our mourning for dancing. It is where that we exchange our heartache for hope. And when we go there, we go there with an intention and a desire to meet God. It's the meeting place. Churches may have great programs. They can have great singing, great teaching. It's all good, great talent, great preaching. Uh, and all of these things, great worship, and I can have all of those things. But if we do not have an altar, we're going to be unsteady. We're going to be unsure. We're going to be weak. We're going to ultimately lose our faith and abandon the cause. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Huh? Not a house of drama and plays. Not a house of great preaching. Not a house of great fellowship and dinners and diners. Not, not a house of great singing and great musicians. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We know the physical health of a person by their temperature. And we know the spiritual health of a person or a church by their spiritual temperature. You know the spiritual temperature by their commitment to prayer. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Amen. When I was growing up, the greatest ministry in the church was altar workers. These people were people who had an altar in their own lives. They knew the power of prayer. They knew what God could do in their hearts. And, and because he lived, they lived their lives on the altar. They would, they would come alongside and labor until you prayed. And they would use the term prayed through. Until you broke through. Until salvation or healing or deliverance or the baptism of the holy spirit came they would be there and they would pray with you let me just say today that that it that no one should ever come to the altar alone no one if we're going to do life together that means we come to the altar together 
It's more than a cliche. If it's just a cliche, we might as well rip it off of the walls and say we just live to ourselves. But you see, whenever I was growing up, no one ever got to the altar. Before they ever got there, somebody else was already on their way to pray with them. To encourage them to say you're not going to you could carry this alone at home, but you're not going to carry it alone here. We're going to pray together and we're going to pray till you pray through. Amen. You see, the God gives us altars. To be able to have a relationship with God. God gives us altar workers. So that it's more than just, when I say altar workers, it's more than just catching people. It's more than just covering somebody up when they fall over. It's men, it's women who are not ashamed of tears. It's men and women that aren't ashamed to, to get their clothes messed up and their mascara running and, 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 and whatever it is, they're not afraid or ashamed, they're not embarrassed. They're there for one purpose and that is the purpose of getting that individual to a place of encountering Jesus. We don't find many altar workers in the church today because everybody wants a position. They want a name tag. They want a... They want compensation. They, they want their own parking spot. We live in a very, very selfish world where that we are centered around ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about my blessing. It's all about what I can get. Every man for himself. But that's not what the gospel of the kingdom is about. But Jesus didn't come to be served, but the Bible said that he came to serve and to give his life a ransom. Right? That's what Jesus did and that's what we ought to do. Elijah took 12 stones. You can read it later in that chapter. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he rebuilds the altar that has fallen down. I knew, know that if he could bring Israel back to the altar, then the altar back to Israel, that he would bring Israel back to God. And he understood that. He knew that. And I want you to know that the only hope for America today is the altar. The only hope today for the, the world to ever return to a normalcy, if you will, a, a understanding of who we really are, is an altar. And you see, there is no president, there's no politician, there's no legislation in the country or anywhere in the world that is able to do it. The only hope for change in America is God. God back in the home. God back in the schoolhouse. God back in the White House. God back in his own house. Amen. In the church house we must have an altar to return to our hearts and into the kingdom of God so there can be a transformation in America. Malachi 3 and 7 said return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. Even from the days of our, your fathers you are gone away from my ordinances but have you have not kept them return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts 
But you said, wherein shall we return? The greatest structure that can be built in America is not the World Trade Center in New York City. It's not in every, it's in every city, it's in every church, it's in every home. The structure is called the altar. It was torn down, but it wasn't torn down by terrorist attacks. It wasn't destroyed because of terrorists. It was torn down because of neglect and decay. It was torn down because of rejection. That, that, and, and we've taken in favor. We have come into a place of comfortability and less pain. And, 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 and we don't have to be humble anymore. We can be proud. But only humble people pray. Only weak people pray. Only helpless people pray. Only needy people pray. Only people who are willing to admit they need help can pray. And the greatest sin in America today, hear me, the greatest sin in America today is not homosexuality. The greatest sin in America today is pride. It's not national pride needed in America. It's national humility. Total dependence upon God that we need today. Oh, I know you've, you can probably quote it yourself. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 of my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Huh? And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will but heal their land. But we have to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. I know there are some wicked evil things that are happening in our world today. They are gross. They are horrible things that are being done in our nation and in our world. The world is very dark and dangerous place but God is speaking to the world. God's this wicked and this evil and this dark long world and sinners are all over and it's by, by it's natural, it's nature, it, it's, just, it's just what we live, it's just how we live. But God is speaking to the church and says if my people You can't, you, can't, you can't expect the world to be humble. You can't expect the heathen to humble himself. But God said, if just my people, my church, the people that are called by my name would get off of their pride horse and humble themselves and just begin to pray, he said, I'll take care of the heathen. I'll take care of the world. I'll take care of your nation. If just my people would humble themselves and get some humility about them and begin to pray. He said, I will hear from heaven. God wants us to humble ourselves. He wants us to pray. He wants us to repent. My people will turn from their wicked ways. 
Then God said, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive their sins and I'll heal the land. Revival comes when we rend our hearts, not just our garments. Revival comes because we break up the fallow ground and we seek God till he comes and reigns on us with righteousness and we change our hearts from the inside out. Elijah rebuilds the altar. The stones were whole stones. Again, you can read it through from verse 30 where we concluded down through verse 40. He tells them don't use any, any instruments that they're to be whole stones. There's no, no tools to be represented because it is a representation that God says, I don't want this altar to be polluted by man. Right? This speaks to me and he says, first of all, it speaks of self-effort. He says, the activity of the flesh, no the flesh, the, the, the talent, no, no skill, no ability will ever be a substitute for the anointing. Amen. You know, we can have all the gifting and all of the talent and thank God for all of that, right? That's all wonderful. It's all great. We, we celebrate that. But I want you to know that there is nothing that will ever take the place of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. People can get up and articulate and be a wordsmith and all of those things and it's wonderful to have it. People can sing with glorious notes and that will mesmerize your mind. But if there is no anointing, the soul will never be challenged and never be transformed but on the other hand somebody may not be able to speak so eloquently and they may not be able to speak so good but when the anointing of the Lord comes upon them it will bring transformation it's the power of heaven that is released into the earth I want you to know today that you don't have to be the greatest singer you don't have to be the great greatest person to be able to speak but if you'll build an altar in your heart, the fire of God will find you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You see, I'm here today, some 40 years, preaching June the 28th, be preaching the gospel over 40 years. I haven't lasted this long because I'm all of that in a bag of chips, but I know how to hear the voice of God. I know how heaven can come into your heart and give you direction and purpose. And I'm telling you today that the thing that will save you and your life in this season is to build an altar and let nothing tear it down. Amen. The second thing it tells me is God doesn't want fragments of our life. He said, I'll dress the other bullock. I will represent as God has required. Contrary to popular opinion, God will not accept just any old offering you throw at him. Romans 12 again, he says, present your body a living sacrifice. Well, just any old thing will do. No, no. Malachi 1 and 7, they tick God off. He said, you make me a table and an altar of the Lord, but you make it contemptible. How? He said, you bring me the blind, the lame, and the sick to me. 
And he said, you would never take this to your governor. We want to bring God the trash. We want to bring God the leftovers. We want to bring God the mess. And then want him to expect him to be happy with it. God, don't, that God never gave you his least. He didn't give you his leftovers. <laughs> Come on somebody. He gave us the very best heaven had to offer. His only begotten son. That we could have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. I believe he's worthy of our time, our talent, our treasures. I know this world gets busy, but if it's get you, you're too busy to give God a day of it, then you're just too busy. You're done messed up. If you're too busy, if, if, you, get, if you got it so messed up that you can't give God you your time, your talent, your treasures, then we've got to reevaluate our life. And God don't want your leftover time, your talent, or your treasure. You just keep it. But we got to bring him our very best. The first fruit. That's where faith comes in. Amen. The first of our time. That's the reason we're here on Sunday. It's the first of the week. That's the reason we bring him our tithe. It isn't the leftover. It's before we paid anything else. We bring him the tenth. We offer it to him because we say, that's saying, God, I trust you. Amen. Our treasures, our time, our talents. We say, God, you, you, whenever we give you our best, we know it, the leftover is going to be more than enough to supply every need that I have. Elijah calls for an investment from the people. He says to them, bring me 12 baskets or 12 barrels of water. Right? You got to have some skin in the game. Amen. You got to have some skin in the game. When, it, when you don't have any skin in the game, it's easy to just give up and walk off. But whenever you got skin in the game... You got an investment in something. That's the reason why you have to put a down payment on a house. Huh? You got to make a, an investment so they know that whenever times get tough, you're not just going to get up and haul tail and go. You got some investment in it. And God says, I want you to put some investment in my kingdom. And he says... Elijah says, bring me 12 barrels of water. It had not rained a drop in three and a half years. And Elijah calls for the most valuable thing in the nation. Water. If you don't make an investment in anything, you don't care about it. You care about your kids, you'll invest in them. You care about your life, you'll invest in it. Anything that you care about, you invest in. Amen. Pursuit is the proof of desire. If you're not pursuing it, then you don't have no desire for it. Amen. If you really want something, you will spend time pursuing it. If it really has value to you, 
you will figure out a way. Huh? If you want that car, you'll figure out a way. If you want that house, you'll figure out a way. Huh? Things that we value, we pursue. And sometimes in the pursuit of things, you have to give up other things. Because you can't have the new car and the boat too. So, what do you desire the most? Sometimes you have to give up the boat and the second car and the camper. Come on. But you'll never do that if you don't value that. But when you value a thing, you pursue it and you say, what can I take or extract from my life in order that I can purchase? Huh? The scripture says they found a, a treasure in the field. And the man went to selling things and getting rid of things, not so he could buy the treasure, but so he could buy the whole field. And God says, if you treasure it, if you value it, if it has value to you, then you're willing to do what it takes to get what you want. You know, it's important whenever you begin to give things your time. You, how much time do you give to really seeking God? How much time do you spend on your face compared to how much time you spend in Facebook? We live in a technical world where technology and information are everywhere and we're connected to everything and everyone except the one who really matters. I'm preaching better than this Pentecostal church is letting on. So many people are feeling like they would die if they lost their phone for a week. Huh? Some people would think they would die if they, they'd just not be able to go on if they couldn't have that phone. But can go for days and weeks, maybe even months, and never talk to God. Twelve barrels of water in a time of drought, in the middle of a famine, was a tremendous sacrifice. The point is this, if we really want to experience a move of God, it is going to cost us something. There will never be fire from heaven without an investment of water. Water in times of famine. Twelve barrels of water during a drought. It seems today that the church is in a spiritual drought. And we have the drought of dry eyes. In America, we don't seem to many tears on the altar anymore. It's still true. The fire still falls on wood that is wet. Elijah had them dig the trench around the altar. 
If we're going to see the power of God and the manifestation of God, there has to be more than work around the altar. There's got to be more of a life around the altar. There's got to be someone that's digging around the altar. There's got to be someone that's praying around the altar. If we don't have any time to pray, then we shouldn't think that it's strange that we are powerless and we have no supernatural move of the fire of God in our midst. Prayer is hard work. It's hard on the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to do it. I know the spirit of prayer can come. And it's a glorious thing when the spirit of prayer comes. But it's not often that that happens. When a spirit of prayer comes upon you, hours seem like moments. It's a glorious thing. But it is more you don't just pray when a spirit of prayer comes upon you. It's a discipline that you pray every day. One great man of God was asked how many hours he spent in prayer. Of the most hours he ever spent in prayer, he stated back and said, I don't know that I ever spent a whole hour in prayer. But he said, neither can I tell you of an hour that's ever went by that I have not prayed. It's about having an attitude. It's about having a mindset. It's about taking your flesh and crucifying your flesh and crucifying the pride of your life and crucifying I am the carnal mind that has come to you and say I'm going to destroy this and I'm going to pray anyways notice how the scripture says he made a trench about the altar this shows us how vitally connected the preaching of the word is with the prayer if we would see preaching that results in changed lives, then we must first saturate that word in prayer. Study yourself full. Pray yourself hot. And then release it. That's my motto. That's the way I live, Brother Wayne. Study yourself full. Pray yourself hot. And release it. Once I do that, if I do that, study myself full, pray myself hot, and release it, it I leave out of here. Don't worry about it. It don't matter to me. I, mean, I ain't going to say it don't matter, but it don't affect me anymore how you respond to it. That's up to you. That's on you. I mean, you can just get up and walk out and just sashay and, and, and just let it roll off. But, but, but I've done my part. Amen. I've done my part. Now, what are, you, what are we going to do with the word of the Lord? Acts 6 and 4 said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's whenever they was trying to throw the little side things at them. They was fussing in the church. Right? Saying they ain't taking care of the widows and they're not taking care of the orphans. And Paul said, that ain't our job. He said, 
My job is to study myself full, pray myself hot, <laughs> and release the word of ministry of the word. He said, we're going to appoint men to take care of that business. Right? We're going, to take it, we're going to take some of the folks from the church here and we're going to put them in charge of this and they're going to take care of the orphans and the widows. And it's your responsibility to do that. Then as the water covered the altar and sacrifice filled the trenches around about it, the Bible says that the fire began to fall. This is speaking of a deep work of the Spirit. More than a touch, but a transformation. Soaking, saturating of the word of God. You can't just hear the word preached, but you've got to apply the word to your life. You've got to let it soak into your life. Be a sponge and let it soak into your life and let it break up the fallow ground. And after Elijah had done all that he could do from the earth, he said, and he called on God. Not just any God, but the God who answers by fire. <laughs> Hallelujah. And heaven bent over low and heard the voice of that old prophet. And suddenly the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the stones of the altar. And licked up the water that was in the trenches. Glory to God. The supernatural fire of God always falls and the, the divine order of God. If we desire the divine supernatural fire of God in our lives, then we have to get back to the altar and get back to every getting our lives in order so that we can experience and encounter the fire from heaven. The fire of God always falls on a praying church. Amen. My prayer for the local church in America is that Lord send the fire. And I want to tell you the most beautiful sound that I've ever heard in my life has never been oratorical preachers, has never been majestic singers. But the greatest sound that I ever heard in my life, it's been embedded in my spirit. Is when I walked in to the church in McCurdy, Africa. In the middle of the night. Because they have all night prayers. Every Friday night. They call it all night. They don't pray part of the night. They don't pray just two or three folks coming in. The whole church. Packed. And we arrived and we went straight to the church. And in the middle of the night, when you got out of the car, you heard a roar coming from the inside. I'm telling you. And I couldn't understand a word they were saying, but I knew the spirit that was there. The greatest sound that will ever come from this church is not the sound of singing, not the sound of preaching, 
but a roar that comes from our hearts seeking the face of God, humbling ourselves before Him, crying out to the Lord that He hears us and answers by fire. There's something beautiful about a church that ain't afraid and ain't ashamed to be on its knees and say we're weak, we're powerless, we're incapable, and we need your strength. When the church, as Elijah bows her head between her knees and begins to pray and travail in prayer, something is going to happen in the spirit realm. Hell's going to get on high alert. Demons are going to begin to shake. Chains are going to begin to break. Yokes are going to be destroyed. The captive are going to be delivered and set free. And the sons and the daughters are going to be birthed into the kingdom of God. Everything that Satan has ever done to the church or against the church, in one moment, in the presence of God, when the church is on its knees, everything can be shifted in a moment. This nation can be shifted in a moment. This, this world can be shifted in a moment. Why? When the America, when in America and this nation, when we turn our hearts back to God, all across this nation today, people are just gathered together. It may be few, it may be many, but all over this nation, people are gathered together right now. And they're saying that we believe in God, but are they people of prayer? When those people begin to pray, this nation has no choice but to turn back to God. When this people begin to seek the face of God and humble ourselves before the Lord, America has no choice but to call on the name of Jesus. Amen. And hell is going to be plundered and sons and daughters are going to be saved. And they're going to be redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that God can give us is not big church, not, not better preachers, not more money, not, not fancier cars. The greatest gift that God can give the church is for a spirit of prayer that will cause a fire from heaven to answer us again and change us in our hearts and in our our lives Zechariah 12 and 10 said and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication a spirit of grace supplication prayer intercession I wonder as I'm closing this morning. Is there anyone here that knows that America needs a move of God? Is there anyone here today who would be honest enough and admit that our churches need a move of God? Now let me get real personal. Is there anyone here today that will admit I need a move of God? I need to get back to the altar. I need to repent. I need to get the sins out of my life. I need to rebuild the altar in my life. I need revival. I need some people who don't care to let their makeup run or their hair to get messed up. 
I'm looking for some people that's not worried about their clothes getting wrinkled. I'm looking for some people that's not ashamed to groan in the spirit until something breaks in the earth. I'm looking for some people that have a desire for the spirit of intercession that will come and put themselves on the altar and say, I refuse to live another day as we have lived, but I'm believing that the God that answers by fire, he's going to meet us and he's going to change us from the inside out. I need people who will intercede for their children, their children's children. For your church, for your city, for your state, for your nation. We got to return back to the altar. Thank God for all the demonstrations. Thank God for all of the displays publicly. I, I'm not discrediting that today. But what I will tell you today is all of the public demonstrations will have no power if there's not private places of prayer. It starts in the house of God starts with the people of God and we can't blame the world the world's gonna act like the world sinners sin the devil roars and you and I is the only thing that's gonna change it if my people return back to the altar and pray I've told you before, I'm going to continue to push on it. This altar is not a place that we ought to just run to last resort. This altar ought to be a place where the people come to while we're singing, while we're preaching. It ought to be a place that you run to of refuge. It ought to be a place where you come and give praise thanks it ought to be a place of exchange you don't come because you're always in need sometimes you just want to give him thanks you give him praise where do you come to you come to the altar he cleansed ten leopards only one of them returned back to the altar if you will please he said I just come don't need healed you've already done that he said I just come back to thank you have you ever returned back to the altar after an answered prayer just to thank him he said where are the other nine he said I don't know where the other nine are but I just wanted to thank you and something powerful happened if you read that scripture He said, this day you've been made whole. He'd already been healed, but because he came back with a thank you, <laughs> Jesus said, I'm going to make you whole.
that means that the leprosy not only stopped but he had been restored back to a place of completeness that everything that the leprosy maybe I don't know maybe his ears ate off maybe parts of his body were eaten off but that day Jesus pronounced a second blessing on him that not only did the leprosy stop but everything the leprosy had taken away from him now had returned back to him I don't want this church to be a church where we think that just you come to when you sin see altar Whenever you don't know what to do, you just come to the altar. I want it to be a place where we live. I want it to be a place where we come to thinking. I want it to be a place where we have an issue. The first place we come to is the altar. Well, I don't, I don't want people to think I'm sinning. I don't, want, I don't want, think, want people to know what, I don't care what they think. You gotta become humble. Amen. You got to humble yourself. This is a safe place. We're family here. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. And if I hear of somebody that is, I'll straighten that out too. Amen. But this is a place where we ought to be free to come to the altar and pour ourselves out, whether it be in brokenness or it be in joy. We come and say thank you. We come to give you praise. But let it be the first place that when the need comes, the inkling of a need comes, that we feel at liberty to bring it to the altar and give it to God. Amen. This won't be the last you hear of this. But on this day, this outset, I want you to know if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, where your life changes is at the altar. If you're here today and you serve the Lord for a long time, and it's been a while since you've really interceded and prayed. The best place to rekindle the fire is at the altar. If you're here today and God's been good to you and you know he's been good to you, one of the greatest places you can give him thanks is at the altar. Just give him your heart, give him your soul, give him your mind, give him your love just praise him for his greatness amen stand with me in this sacred moment I don't know how what's in your heart to respond or how to respond in it as I said there's no judgment here today however you respond or choose not to it that's not the not the point the point is, if there's something that's touching your heart today that you want to touch the heart of God, as they sing this morning, I want to invite you to come to the altar. Let us meet him there.